Zayin Adar is both a birth date and the Yorzad of Moshe Rabbeinu. So which is the dominant feature? Is it a day of Simcha because he was born? Or is it a solemn day and even a day of fasting because he passed away? And how does this link to the fact that Zayin Adar is almost always around Parashas Tetzaveh, which really does seem to speak to the Yorzad. His name is not mentioned, and yet very much speaks to his essence because the parasha is directed at Moshe himself. And in our exploration, we'll also look at the fact of the first Adar and the Simcha, the nature of the Simcha of the first Adar in Alipia, and also the angle of why it is that we compare Mishanichnas Adar Marben Besimcha specifically to the idea of Mishanichnas of Mematin Besimcha. We know that the Yorzad of Moshe Rabbeinu Zayin Adar is almost always around Parshas Tetzaveh. And so some of the commentaries say you can actually see a hint at Moshe Rabbeinu's Yorzad in Parshas Tetzaveh because she had Parsha Yechida Betoira Mishanoilad Moshe Lachri Parsha Shmois because it's the only Parsha from when Moshe Rabbeinu was born in Parsha Shmois till the end of the Torah. Which implies that Moshe is absent in a sense because Moshe has passed away when on Zayin Adar. There's the connection. This will also link to what it says in Magen Avram. That if it's a leap year like this year, the fast day which some observe on Zayin Adar, we don't, but some do, would be in the first Adar. And you see the link again, that Zayin Adarishan will be the one that is closest to Parshas Tetzaveh. So there's clearly a link between Tetzaveh and the Yerzeit of Moshe Rabbeinu, but it does raise a question. Yes, of course, it is Moshe's Yerzeit, but it is also the date of Moshe's birth. Like the Gemara tells us, famous thing, that Abishta calibrates the years of Tzadikim to be perfectly from day to day in the same month. In other words, that they pass away often on the same date that they were born. So if there's this very strong link between Zainad and not only Moshe's Yosef, but also his birth, how come the parasha, which is always around Zainad, does not also allude to his birth? Unless, of course, it does. So let's try that angle. The simplest explanation would be that in fact Moshe's birth is alluded to in the parasha because the parasha is called and you will instruct the Jewish people who's the you it's addressed to Moshe as we well know the name of a parasha alludes to what the primary theme and what the whole message of the parasha is all about so that's tells you that the whole parasha is somehow focused on Moshe Rabbeinu, and that would speak to his birth. But you'll say, we don't call it The way we refer to it, and the way it's printed in the Chumash is, The parasha is not called even though in some places it's referred to that way, but colloquially we just call it Stam Tetzaveh. Still, it's referring to Moshe because number one, number one, it is in the singular and it's directed at one person. And who's the person? Well, look at the context. It's a follow on from Hashem addressing Moshe Rabbeinu. So we know who the Ve'ato is. 
It's Moshe. We know who the Tetzave is. It's Moshe. Okay, moving gam mashanema takef lachar tetzave aronochicho, and especially because straight afterwards the context is again reinforced when it says, and this is what you should tell Aaron your brother. So who are we talking about? Tetzave es Yisrael. You have to instruct the Jewish people and Aaron your brother. Who would that be? Must be Moshe. So. On the one hand, the absence of Moshe's name in the parasha alludes to his passing. On the other hand, the fact that the parasha, the name of the parasha addresses him as an individual, Moshe himself directly, that talks about the fact that this is where he enters the space, his birth. Maybe that's the answer. However, that in itself is difficult to understand because it's paradoxical. How do you have one concept that alludes to two opposite themes. On the one hand, you're telling me the theme of the parasha is that Moshe's name is not mentioned. Which implies Moshe's absence, alluding to his passing. And in the same parasha, in the same parasha where Moshe's name is not mentioned, alluding to his absence, that same parasha, every single word in the parasha falls under the banner of Tetzavah, which is speaking directly to Moshe. So it's very paradoxical. On the one hand, Moshe is completely absent. On the other hand, Moshe is integral to every single part of this parasha. So there's a strange paradox not only in the parasha, but actually the paradox applies to Zainodar itself, which is going to raise a practical question. Let's understand, why is there a custom that some have to fast on Zainoda? Actually, it's a really difficult thing to understand. Why is it that people um, remember the day of Zayin Adar with a fast, which is obviously linked to Moshe's passing? Especially when you consider that there's a whole interesting debate in the Gemara. If a person says, I want to be like Moshe on Zayin Adar, what does he mean? He have a Kabbalah's Nezirus. Had that person then automatically committed himself to be a Nazir, why would there be a link between Zayin Adar and a Nazir? So explains. Because when Moshe was born on Zayin Adar, there was a tremendous Simcha in his family and actually the broader community as well. But then over here in Moshe, when Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, you can imagine it was terrible mourning. And so Rabbim Nodru Beneder, many people took Nadarim almost as a response to say we have to fix our lives. And many people became Nazir. Machmas Tsar, because they were in pain over the fact that Moshe had passed away. So now you've got a person who says, Well, who am I? A person says, I want to be like Moshe on Zainadar. So what's he saying? So it would seem to imply that he's saying, I want to be in a state like the Jews were at the time Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zainadar. And so therefore, and therefore that would imply that he accepted to become a Nazar because that was common at the time Moshe passed away. The question is, or did he perhaps mean, I want to celebrate like when Moshe was born. And therefore, and maybe he undertook a certain element of Simcha. So now, that immediately tells us the fact that there's such a doubt, that there's such a debate in the Gemara, tells us, Zainodar is also a day of celebration. And if it is also a day of celebration, and for good reason, we can all understand why to celebrate, because Moshe was born. How come the only custom that sustained through the generations was a custom to fast because of the Yorotai? Why don't we have a custom to celebrate because Moshe was born? 
ואין לא אם יש הספק בגמרא הוא האם כוונה סיימר היא לזין עודק פשלחה מיסס משה. Now you might say, yeah, well, listen, here's a person who's making a commitment, and the commitment is obviously referring to זין עודק nowadays, which is after משה רבינו passed away, ואם כן נזירוס קיבל על עצמו, which is what... why it would be more logical to say that he's committing himself to Nazirus associated with the passing of Moshe. Or maybe the dilemma is he's thinking how was Zayn Adar viewed while Moshe was still alive. But nowadays, you know, perhaps as a Nazir, you could, as a guy making a statement about perhaps becoming a Nazir, you could debate, did he mean Zayn Adar now or Zayn Adar then? But maybe the reality is Zayin Adar for us is after Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. So surely it lends itself to some element of mourning, or in this case, fasting. So don't say that it's that simple, because The rule of thumb about taking a neder is we always listen to what the person said, and we then compare it to how people typically talk. If you look at how people typically talk, the logic is that we're so many centuries after Moshe's passing, so you would assume that if a person says, I am like somebody on Zayin Adar, we assume you mean Zayin Adar now, post Moshe's passing, and it should be quite Self-evident. And nevertheless, the Gemara still puts forward the possibility that he meant a day of Simcha. So why then do we not observe some element of Simcha with regards to Zainadar? Even the Gemara considered that there's logical reason to think it's a day of Simcha even today. More than that, of course, there's quite a well-known Rashi based on a well-known Gemara in Megillah. The Gemara Megillah tells us, When Haman found that the lottery to pick which month he should try to, God forbid, annihilate the Jewish people, ended up being Adar, Haman was ecstatic. He said, it's wonderful, this is, must be the best time to be rid of the Jews, because it's the month where Moshe passed away. Says the Gemara, The Gemara says there was a flaw in his logic because he didn't realize that just, yes, it's true, but just as much as Moshe passed away in Adar, this is also the month of his birth. Now, if you look at the context of what the Gemara is saying over there, it implies that the fact that Moshe was born in Adar overrides the fact that he passed away in Adar. To the extent that that empowered this month to turn Haman's evil plans on its head, and Nesapurim Simcha turned into a day in this month, which would be the great miracle of Purim, and the great Simcha associated with that miracle. In other words, that implies that the fact that Moshe was born, even if it happened centuries ago, and even if he subsequently passed away, just his birth alone empowers history, and that time in history with Simcha and with miracles and with goodness. Especially when you look at what Rashi comments on that exact Gemara, when he says, listen to the language, the day of Moshe's birth is potent enough to neutralize or cleanse the fact that he passed away, which implies, that would imply that Zion Adar should be a day purely of Simcha, because the Simcha of his birth outweighs the fact that he passed away. So why is there a custom to fast on Zayin Adar and not just to celebrate? So to understand that, we'll first ask ourselves the question, which month of Adar is the month that you're supposed to have Simcha?
So we'll start by exploring the Gemara that says, as we well know, tells us just as when the month of 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 enters, you diminish your simcha. So in the month of of Adar, you have to increase simcha. Which raises a question in practice. If it is a leap year like this year, so is the simcha that you're supposed to have, the increasing simcha of other, does that kick in in the first other, or do you have to wait till the second other? What we're going to use to try and explain this to us is a comment that Rashi makes. Initially, this comment is going to confuse us a little further. Once we clarify what Rashi is saying, it helps us to understand the nature of the simcha associated with this time of the year, which will answer our question. So, what is the Gemara saying? When other intercessment joy increases, says Rashi, there were days of miracles for the Jewish people, Purim and Pesach. And of course, that would seem to imply that would seem to imply that we're talking only about Simcha in Adar because that's when Purim is. And of course, that's close to Pesach. So yes, at first glance, it sounds like Rashi endorses an opinion that you only have the obligation of extra Simcha from the second order because he associates it with Purim. However, when we look a little more carefully at what Rashi is saying, Actually, he says the exact opposite. Now, in order to get there, why don't we ask an obvious question? Why is Rashi talking about Pesach? So the obvious question is, why, are you, why is Pesach part of this conversation? So some commentaries say, well, Rashi had to ask a different, or at least a, a tackle a different question. There's a great miracle that happened, and the salvation of the Jewish people in Adar, it's called Purim. And it's a huge simcha, and not only is the simcha on the day of Purim, but Now a month later, you have another massive miracle that happened, salvation of the Jewish people, called Pesach. Why do we not have a mitzvah to increase simcha in Nisan? Why do we only have Simcha in Adar and not in Nisan? So, some of the commentaries say, well, that's exactly what Rashi is trying to tell us. Just as there is increasing Simcha in Adar because of Purim, there should also be increasing Simcha in Nisan because of Pesach. Now, do we do that? Besides the question of whether we do that in practice, it actually doesn't really fit into Rashi's words. Rashi ostensibly is explaining those two words. If Rashi's intention is to tell us other information that we did not glean from those words, or especially if those that extra insight that Rashi should be offering us will be relevant to how we behave, in other words, that we should also increase Simcha in Nisan, he should have said so. Rashi would never rely on the fact that he just says the word Pesach and will work out that his intention is that your behavior should be that you increase Simcha in Nisan. That's too far-fetched, certainly for Rashi. Plus, if the logic is that when you have a great miracle and salvation of the, of the Jewish people, you're supposed to increase Simcha, well, it's not only Purim and Pesach then. Why don't we have a mitzvah then to increase Simcha in Kislev because of the great miracles and salvation of Hanukkah? 
In fact, there's a compelling argument why there should be extra simcha specifically around Chanukah. Because Chanukah is a purely rabbinic mitzvah and anything that the Rabbanon instituted always needs some extra impetus so that people will take it seriously. So therefore, there's actually a, logic, a logical reason to say there should be additional simcha around Chanukah, even more than there should be around Pesach, because Pesach is mandated by the Torah, doesn't need extra fluff around it in order to build up how important the mitzvah is, or the Yom is. In fact, it should have even been more simcha around Chanukah than they should be at the time of Purim. Because the truth is that the celebration of Purim, which is built around the Megillah, is not a simple mitzvah dirabonon, but it's what's considered divrei kabbalah, a mitzvah which is recorded within Tanakh itself, even though it wasn't given at Sinai, which would make it Doraisa, but it's recorded in Tanakh and it's given through the force of Nevoah, so it's considered more powerful and more binding than a rabbinic mitzvah. So no, we can't conclude that Rashi is trying to tell us that Nisan is a month that you're supposed to increase in Simcha because of the miracles, because there are a variety of reasons why that doesn't actually make sense. So that's some of the commentaries. There are other commentaries who tell us that actually what Rashi wants to tell us is the flow, the chronological flow of the Yomim Tevim. That because Adar is actually the beginning of a series of great miracles that happen in close succession to each other, there's Purim and shortly afterwards Pesach, that's why as soon as Adar comes, the Simcha starts to increase because now we're headed into a period of miracle following miracle. And that would not apply at the time of Kislev because as great a miracle as Hanukkah was, it's a single miracle that's not preceded or followed by other great miracles. But the truth is, even that is not really a full explanation because it's all very well to say that Purim leads very shortly to Pesach, but what's the connection between Adar as a month and Pesach as a Yom Why would the month of Adar be a time of joy if later there's going to be Pesach in another month? It would make sense if you told me, from Purim you add in joy, because that's the first miraculous event, and then you keep the joy going till Pesach. Why from the beginning of Adar? Now, in order to understand why the Simcha begins at the beginning of Adar, which is going to be the key of our entire conversation over here, we have to look at why it is the Gemara compares the entrance of Adar and its Simcha to the exact opposite in Av. The explanation is this. Going back to that Gemara in Tainus, it says, that as soon as Adar enters, that's when the joy increases. I.e., from day one of the month. And that doesn't actually seem to be logical. And to the extent that's why the Gemara says that if a Jew has to face off against a non-Jewish person in a court of law, avoid the month of Av, go for the month of Adar, implying even from the beginning of Adar, because it's a time of a healthy, strong muzzle. So the logical question is, the miracles of Purim only occurred almost halfway into the month on the 13th of Adar. Why the Simcha already from the beginning of the month? Now you could say that's because the 
conquest of our enemies only happened on the 13th, but the neutralizing of the decree against us already happened earlier, so maybe the Simcha should happen earlier, that's also not logical. The cancelling of Achashverosh's decree happened long before Adar. tells us on the 23rd of Sivan, that's when the king wrote his decree to cancel the previous decree and signed and sealed it. Giving permission for the Jews to defend themselves and even preemptively so. Still, either way you look at it, it's not logical. The signing and sealing of the decree to protect the Jews happened already the previous seven. When did it actually happen that the Jews became safe by physically ridding themselves of the enemy? Hadn't yet happened in seven. And it's therefore considered a, a step missing in, in, in the actioning of this decree. And not just a step, but a serious, major step. They had to actually gather people together and fight an actual war. And as the Megillah reports, they all got together in their cities to attack those who wished ill for them. And only in the, on the 13th of Adar, eventually the nace of winning that war occurred. And only on the following day, the 14th of Adar, were they at peace now and free of their enemies. And that's when we celebrate Purim. So again, back to square one. Why do we start to celebrate the great Simcha of Adar before the date when the cause for that Simcha was actually cemented into place because we got rid of our enemies? And the truth is, it's not only a question on our conduct, it's actually a question on the words of the Megillah. Look at the end of the Megillah, what does it say? It's equally disturbing. The Megillah calls it the month that was converted, that was switched around from despair to joy. Indicating that the entire month was transformed into Simcha. In fact, to the extent that the Yerushalmi even says, that if for whatever reason a person cannot get to read the Megillah on the 14th of Adar, they're allowed to read the Megillah right from the beginning of the month, because the entire month is suitable to read Megillah. And the says, this is the practical application of how we fulfill the mitzvah of Megillah, that you could technically read the Megillah from the beginning of the month. Now, the cause again for the Simcha and for the celebration of Purim only occurred on the 13th of Adar. Why would the Megillah itself call it a month that is transformed? It's actually this question that Rashi addresses and answers by telling us that what's great about this time of the year is the great simcha of the miracles of Purim and Pesach. How does that answer? To answer that, we go back to the Gemara Tainis that made the comparison between entering into Adar with extra simcha as like you diminish simcha on the way into Av. The fact that the Gemara said, The fact that the Gemara said that just as when Av enters, you reduce your Simcha, likewise, when Adar enters, you increase your Simcha. Move on that teaches us that there is something thematically connected between how you reduce Simcha in Av 
and how you increase Simcha in Adar, they are inherently related, at least conceptually or halachically. So let's understand what is unique about Av. That will help us to understand what is unique about Adar. Let's look. What makes Av different to Tammuz or Teves or any other time where there were bad things that happened to the Jewish people? Why is Av the specific month where we have to reduce our Simcha? So the two considerations. Aleph, the first consideration is major misfortunes repeated themselves again and again over the course of years in Av and specifically on Tishabab, which brings us to the second point. Tishabab is considered a day allocated for negative things. Like the Gemara explains, how is it that the second Chorban, the second destruction of the base Amigdash also occurred on Tishabab? It's because we have a principle that Hashem will always cause positive, meritorious things to happen on a day that already has merit, and negative things to happen on a day that has already been associated or allocated for negativity. Now, that's not just that the second Chorban happened on the same day as the first Chorban, but actually this day was already a sign for negative long before. As the Gemara says in the Pasuk in Shlach, after the Miraglim came back, and it says that the whole nation cried through the night, and what did Hashem say in response? Tishabav, hoya. That night was Tishabav. You crying for nothing this night. I'm going to establish this as a time through the generations when you will cry. So, so if that's the nature of Av, Av is a time where there's extra bad uh, misfortunes. And there's a day that has been assigned for negative. So, same kind of logic must apply to other. So, the nature of the increasing simcha that occurs in other must be similar to of, on the opposite extreme. It must be a time of the year where there are more miracles than usual. And there must be a special date within this month that is considered a very special date that attracts positive energy like Tishabov attracts negative energy. What date? Which miracles? Where do we see this in other? Aha, that we'll find in the Gemara's comment in Megillah. What did the Gemara say in Gemara Megillah? As soon as the lottery pulled out Adar as the month to target the Jews, so Haman was ecstatic. He said, I have pulled out the month where Moshe passed away. In other words, he identified what is the unique date on this month's calendar, Moshe's Yardzeit. He didn't realize that it was equally the birth date of Moshe. The Gemara there clarifies for us that actually the catalyst that caused Purim is actually Zayn Adar. Zayn Adar being the birth of Moshe, that is the Yom Zakai. That is the day that magnetizes, that attracts positive energy and miracles into this month, which is why Haman's play, plans were foiled. In other words, the very fact that Haman selected this month 
for his attack on the Jews, that itself is what neutralized his plans. Which is why in this month, the month marked by Moshe's birth, that's when Purim is going to happen. So now we understand that Zion Adar is not just a nice, interesting date on the calendar. It is the tuning fork for the whole of Adar. It is what makes Adar as powerful as it is. What's so powerful about Adar, about Zion Well, Zion Adar is the day that the Savior of the Jewish people was born, as the Gemara tells us about the astrologers of Paroi. And so therefore, this is the day that led to the Exodus. Aha! So then Adar has the two identifying factors in the positive sense that I've had in the negative sense. Number one, it is a month that has a special day in it, in this case, Zayin Adar. Number two, the miracles and the redemption that occurred in Adar is actually doubled. Because it turns out now that Zayin Adar is the catalyst for two major redemptions of the Jewish people. Because it's the date Moshe Rabbein was born and he is Moshe Shal Yisrael, it's the direct catalyst for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And because it's the date that neutralized Haman's plans, it is the catalyst for Purim. That's what Rashi was telling us. That's why Rashi said, why is it Rashi, why Because this is the time of the extra days of happiness, Purim and Pesach. He's telling us that I get the Mishnah the framework within which we increase Simcha in Adar, is not only by what is obvious, because it's the month with, which has Purim in it, and that is a great Simcha. Rather, Rashi is telling us there's something unique about this month. This month contains within it the day that is a catalyst for a whole series of miracles for the Jewish people. Now that we've identified that the seed of the entire Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim was Zayin Adar. So as soon as Adar comes in, you have to have tremendous Simcha because this is what's going to breed all these incredible moments in our history and all these causes for Simcha and for miracles. That also explains the Pasuk in the Megillah that says, this is the month that was converted from negative to positive. And why you could technically read the Megillah any time during the month. Because the Purim miracles did not begin as we thought on the 13th of Adar. Actually, the entire setup of what would eventually become the open miracles was already in place the minute the month began because this month is defined by Zayin Adar. So that then should raise the question for us, why then do we fast on Zayin Adar? It should be a huge simcha. Look at what Zayin Adar is the cause of. Well, it all depends on why you fast. Because when the Shulchan Aruch describes that there are certain days allocated on the calendar for fasting, which would include Zainada for those who fast on Zainada, there are two possible reasons why you would fast. 
Aleph, one possible reason is These are dates that historically had misfortune for our ancestors. And so therefore, These are obviously difficult days on the calendar, days that are void of Simcha. So if you know that this is already a time where the energy of the day is negative, you fast to immunize yourself against any kind of negativity. I hear you'll argue we don't base ourselves on times on the calendar. We say we're not confined to the realities of astrology. So just because a particular date is associated with a particular energy doesn't mean we're susceptible to that energy. What it actually means is that we have the power to change the muzzle that is already in place. And that's exactly that's exactly why you should fast on these days because the energy is already inclined to something negative and by us fasting we can mitigate and even neutralize that threat altogether so one reason to fast would be it's a difficult day it has a negative energy and we have to work to change that Base the other reason to fast is because these are days that commemorate things that are far from celebratory, especially when you consider a day like Zainodar, which commemorates the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu, then then Ashlema Melech says, when somebody passes away, especially a person who is central to our entire community, we have to take it to heart and think, how am I going to be different because of this? Then you would fast, not because you're afraid or because you need to change the energy, but because it would be part of a tshuva response. We have lost Moshe Rabbeinu physically. We needed to tshuva. Therefore, we fast. Now, that's going to have a practical difference. Now, the practical difference would be what happens if you have a paradoxical day that has, on the one hand, a negative element associated with it, and on the other hand, a positive, joyous element associated with it. So the time or reason, if I'm looking at the day from the first explanation, which is if I'm worried and I should be fasting because there's negative energy and I want to neutralize that energy, then I wouldn't fast on a day that has both elements. Because then I could say, but it is a good day as well. So that relaxes me. It's actually not a day of overbearing negative energy that I have to somehow shift also got a positive energy. So the onus is not on me to fast to cleanse the energy. Whereas if I fast because of the other motivation, why would I fast on this day to motivate more tshuva? Then, yes, it's a good, good idea to fast on such a day. And then it's a perfect time to Engage in Teshuvah. Just because a day is a day of Simcha does not mean that Teshuvah is inappropriate. It doesn't mean it's not a day I should take a message to heart. The fact that a day is a celebratory day is not a roadblock to doing Teshuvah. To the contrary. Look at the happiest occasion on the Jewish calendar, the celebrations of Sukkah, to the extent that the Chachamim told us if you had never witnessed Simchas Beisasha'eva, you had never witnessed Simcha, and nevertheless, what did they do there? Look in the Gemara Sukkah, it tells us that part of the celebration, as they said, any person who has done an Avera, this is the time to do Tshuva, and you'll be forgiven. In other words, Simcha actually propels Tshuva. It's good for 
Shiva. So if I would have fasted because this day has a negative energy, well, if the day also has Simcha, I don't have to worry about the fast. But if I'm fasting because I want to motivate to Shiva, then the fact that it's a day of Simcha would not take away the opportunity to fast in order to process to Shiva because actually it's a good time for Shiva. And with that information, we can now understand the nature of Zainodah. Papi Zemuv and Gamenegele Zainodah. Because we know that Zayn Adar definitely has an element of Simcha, a very strong element of Simcha. It's the beginning of the process of the miracles of both Pesach and Purim. This is the direct cause of the miracle of Purim. This is such a special day that it informs the entire nature of the whole month to be a month of not just joy, but increasing joy. Move on. Shatainis design order mitam shaboy meismoish rabbeinu eno mipneu mipneish zoyim chayev el gedelif toyach darki atshuva. Then it's quite obvious to us that the reason anybody would fast on design order would not be because we're afraid that perhaps there's a negative energy on the day, but rather because it's a day that is apt for tshuva. Umash biyom zeh noila. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was born on this date, hare ader rabba. That wouldn't be a reason not to fast. To the contrary, that will augment our tshuva. It will upgrade our tshuva. That it won't just be ordinary tshuva, but it will be that amazing kind of tshuva which is propelled through simcha. Just as I'm supposed to do every mitzvah with simcha, I'm supposed to do tshuva with simcha, and tshuva through simcha is actually a very powerful kind of tshuva. In fact, you could see this in the words of Rashi himself, where he said, That the power of the positive, the positivity that Moshe Rabbeinu was born on the state overrides whatever negative you might have gleaned from the fact that he passed away. And in other words, Rashi is telling us that even the Yorzeit element of this date is colored and influenced by the fact that it's the day of Moshe's birth. And with all of this information, we can now go back to the other question of when do you start the Simcha in Alipia? Is it the first or the second order? We know very well that the Magna Avram tells us, and it's what's done in practice, is that if it's Alipia, the fast of Zion order would be in the first order. Which logically would then imply that all the positive of Zion Adar must also apply immediately from the first Adar, which influences the nature of the whole month, because that's what Zion Adar does. It's the anchor that defines the nature of the whole month. And how do we know that the Simcha is also associated with the Zion Adar of the first because we know that Hashem calculates the dates of Tzadikim to the day. Besides the fact that the Gemara tells us that's how it landed up, that he could have been put into the into the Nile already in Nisan when he was three months old, because it was a leap year. So therefore, it's clear that as soon as the first other arrives in a leap year, you already begin to increase and you're required to increase in Simcha. Based on what Rashi told us, that the nature of the month is determined by the special day within it, Zainodr. Because as Rashi told us, this is the month that has the beginning of all these great miracles, the miracles of Purim and of Pesach, which we've now identified are all associated, are both associated with Zainodr. The truth is that even in practice, we know that in Adarishan there is already the miniature version of the celebration of Purim. 
Purim Katan and Shushim Purim Katan, which are also considered days of miracle and of rescue. And of course, we realize that the increased simcha of Adarishan will be nothing like the increased simcha that will follow in Adarishani, which is where you have the real Purim and the real miracles. Now, the only thing is this leaves us with one more question. Back to a question we actually touched on right at the beginning. How come then, is it absolutely clear in Shulchan Aruch that there is a concept of fasting which is associated with Moshe passing and there's nothing at all mentioned to commemorate the element of Simcha because Moshe was born, which is such a compelling part of this entire period of the year. Now the explanation is a, a little bit of a subtle explanation. The truth is that that's exactly the reason. We identify that the nature of Zion Adar is that it's an extremely powerful, spiritual, elevated day. And because of that, it's a day that causes things to happen. But it's not the actual day of the Simcha itself. Meaning to say, on Zion Adar, the Simcha hasn't yet entered our reality. The catalyst for the Simcha has been launched. But in the Pesach case, it was going to take a long time until eventually they came out of Mitzrayim. And in the Purim case, it was going to take even longer until you would see the influence of Moshe Rabbeinu onto the month of Adar to neutralize Haman's plans. So Zion Adar itself is the day where the potential is there, but it hasn't yet actually entered our reality. So the Simcha isn't yet something you can mark in a practical way. Dugma Dov Ba'alocha, we see a similar concept in Alocha. On the one hand, Yom Tev is a lesser element of Kedusha than Shabbos is, and that's why you make Havdolah between Shabbos going into a second day of Yom Tev. And yet, Yom Tev is a day where the Torah instructs you to have tremendous Simcha. Whereas Shabbos, which is considered, in a sense, removed or elevated, it's in its own class of holiness that is even beyond the holiness of Yom Tov. To the extent that it's like, you know, you have a whole series of separations between various things, and Shabbos is considered, you know, the highest of the lot. So even as Yom Tov is separate from the week, Shabbos is separate from Yom Tov. And yet, you don't see that there's a special mitzvah of Simcha on Shabbos, why? Because the Simcha element of Shabbos hasn't yet kind of descended into our reality. In the same way as the Simcha element of Zainadar has not yet descended into our reality. So we can't key into Simcha in a practical sense on the day, whereas we can commemorate the Tainus, which is the Tshuva element, which is quite tangible on the day. We'll understand this a little better coming back to the principle that David calculates to the day the lifespan of a tzaddik. That they pass away on the same day they were born. Now what's the big chap of that? The deeper meaning behind that is The nature of a tzaddik is that the full story, the whole impact of their birth only really comes to light when they leave this world. 
כי אז מסגלה לתלמידים מרוח רמם העצמיוס יויסר ובאופן על יויסר מאשר בייס שנשמוס אוהיסם ולבשס בגוף. As Altareb explains extensively in Tanya, it's at the time that the tzaddik moves to the next world, that's when the, the students of the tzaddik are able to absorb and receive an experience from their Rebbe's soul a deeper level than they could when he was alive. Not only do they have access to a deeper dimension of the tzaddik's experience while he was alive, but as the neshama of the tzaddik is elevated even higher to the source, so to speak, of his own neshama, that also flows down and influences and, and has an impact on the students. And that has a real influence and a real impact on all of his students who are dedicated to serving Hashem. And it affects them. It affects them to awaken, to do tshuva, and to better their commitment to Hashem. That's a fascinating concept, right? Do they see it happening? Do they feel it happening? Do they see the link between the tzaddik having passed away and the newfound uh, enthusiasm to do what Hashem wants? No. So the, the Al-Tarebbe describes that it's, it's, this, it's like you see when you're looking at the night sky and you see stars or perhaps planets shining at night. It's actually the sun that's reflecting off them, but you don't see the sun and yet you see the light. So in the same way, you don't see the direct flow of influence from the tzaddik to these students and yet you see the enthusiasm and inspiration of these students. Like the Tikkun Ezra tells us that after Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, his soul, his light continues to spread through the generations and impact and touch every single soul. And the metaphor that the, that the Zohar uses is like the shun. The, the sun shining from where we don't see it to cause these reflections of the celestial bodies. So that's how it is. When a tzaddik passes away, that's when you actually begin to see their impact, even though you don't see the direct connection between them not being in this world and this impact that we're seeing in this world. Like Zainodar, you don't see the simcha. But when a tzaddik is born, none of that flow happens. None of that inspiration to all of his students happens yet. It's all just in a potential state. That's why there's this concept of the Ebeshter aligning the Yorzeit, the passing of a tzaddik to the day of their birth, to show us that everything that began at the time of their birth, everything that Hashem put into this world via this tzaddik in potential state at the time of their birth, now comes to full fruition at the time that the Neshama completes its mission here. That would explain why the Shulchan Aruch does not mandate any expression of Simcha to celebrate Moshe's birth. Because the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu is actually not a story to celebrate yet. You only see the value of Moshe's birth at the time of Moshe's Istalkus. And even what occurs at the time of Moshe's Histalkos is at such an elevated level that it's beyond the bandwidth of you and I can pick up. All we're able to identify in the human experience is the passing of a tzaddik. 
So we have to relate to what our real experience is. Will there be influence? Will there be inspiration? Will we be changed people because of it? Yes. But how do we react to it in practice? We have to go through the appropriate responses to the passing of a tzaddik, which includes the tshuva-based fasting, v'achayitin elivoy. And finally, coming full circle, that helps us to, expl- to understand the connection between Zainodar and the parasha that it always associates with Tetzabeh. As we identified right at the beginning, Moshe's name is not mentioned in the parasha. It's an anomaly. It doesn't happen. And why is that? Because what we're seeing is a lack of Moshe. It's Zion Adar, the Histalkos of Moshe. You don't see Moshe. That's why his name is not in the parasha. But if you know how to look at things a little more deeply, the real deep reason why Moshe's name isn't mentioned in the parasha is because her name is a somewhat superficial expression of the person. Of the person and in this parasha, Moshe's essence is revealed. That's alluded to in the name of the parasha, which is you. Who's the you? When a person says I, or when a person says you, you're referring to the individual as they are beyond titles, character, talents, descriptions. Specifically also, we know that the word tetzave means connection. So the parish is alluding to the fact that the Talmidim, those commanded by Moshe, are being connected not just to Moshe, the instructor, or Moshe, the teacher, but to the essence of Moshe. And Moshe's essence will in turn link the Jewish people to Hashem's essence, which is, of course, who addresses Moshe. That is the far deeper appreciation and understanding of Zayin Oder. This is the day where everything about Moshe's birth and his leadership and his teachings and his revelation to the Jewish people comes to its absolute zenith. Beyond description, beyond names, beyond titles, linking directly into the essence of of Moshe himself.